Now it's time for Inspirational Women and my guests, Sharon Orlop and Tu Hang Tran. Sharon is the writer, really the transcriber of Tu Hang's life story, at least to this point in time. The book, Standing Up After Saigon, The Triumphant Story of Hope, Determination, and Reinvention, is both incredible and important. It's really something we need to read and learn and then appreciate the challenges that exist for people around the world and their hopes and dreams of a new and different life. Sharon communicates it so well, her telling of this true life experience. And we meet her first, and then we'll also be speaking with Chu Hang. Sharon Orlop, good morning. Thank you so greatly for being with us this morning. Thank you so much, Kate. I'm thrilled to be with you. You have a, a very instrumental part in being here this morning, being part of this wonderful book, this really uh incredibly important book, Standing Up After Saigon, The Triumphant Story of Hope, Determination, and Reinvention. And you, along with the author, with the core figure of the story, with Tu Hong, are responsible for the writing of the book. Or was the writing of it actually all in your hands? So the writing was primarily in my hands. Um, I did it with meeting with Tu Hong and her father and audio recording them and then sharing all the writing with them. And they help edit and shape the details. But it's her compelling story. And I just help bring it to life through writing. And that's where I feel our hearts are connected, Sharon, because I truly believe story is so critically important in our lives on so many levels. And so you obviously, too, have that passion. And uh, there, there was some very interesting connections that went on that brought the three of you, I guess, ultimately together. There are. So I had a mentee of mine. I'd worked at Walmart for about 12 years, and I'd retired. And a mentee of mine from China named Wa Wang had sent me a text, and he said, you need to meet this woman, Tu Hong Tran, and hear her story. And that's about all the details he provided. And so near Thanksgiving of 2016, I was in Arkansas, and I met Tu Hong for coffee, and she mesmerized me with her story. We spent about an hour and a half listening to her powerful odyssey. And at the end, I said, you need to write a book. And she said, I'm waiting for the right person who can help me write it. And I said, pick me, pick me. And then we put together a project plan and started working on it. We talked by FaceTime every Sunday for about seven or eight months as we put the book together. And what a book it is. This is really an important must-have read for for every person. It resonates on so many levels. It's timely, not just because it really brings to life what went on in Vietnam decades ago and the involvement of the United States in that. I think it really gives us an important insight there. But we see history somewhat repeating itself. And, you know, on the whole issue of immigration, I think our hearts can be uh, warmed up and, and maybe softened here. I agree. To me, it's timely because there's this resurgence of interest in Vietnam with the Ken Burns documentary and Rory Kennedy did a documentary in 2014. And then Mark Bowden just wrote a book last year called Way 1968, The Turning Point in the War. And so there's a lot of military memoirs, but there's so few civilian memoirs from Vietnam, both North Vietnam and South Vietnam. 
And then the U.S. and Vietnam cut off relations for 20 years from 1975 to 1995. So I think Americans and most of the world doesn't know what it was like after the fall of Saigon. So Tu Hong's story provides a peek behind the curtain, and it really comes from a heartfelt place as you travel with her through those really difficult times and learn what it was like. So I think it's a unique glimpse that we don't get to see that often. And it's an important glimpse, certainly, to understand what went on for the people that were still left there. And I kind of wonder even now how much has changed because uh, Tu Hong's father, is it Chin? Yes, it's Chen. had uh, returned there in the early 2000s and found that uh, circumstances, life there was still so challenging for people. Yeah, he shared some photos from when he went back. I think he went back around 2003 and he showed up photo of a woman riding a bicycle and the way her child was strapped to the back, it was an infant child, was almost on a board with bungee cords, you know, and he said, you know, things have improved definitely since the 1970s and since the fall of Saigon, but they're still very um, remote or primitive or ways of getting around and daily living that are still extremely challenging. And that comes across, certainly in the telling of the story from uh, the the 70s into the 80s as uh, the family, the three children and their mother were still in uh, Vietnam. So we definitely get that sense of it. It, It's just incredible how tough life was and how... uh, unethical because there were all the bribes that went on and the the toughness of just eking out an existence. Mm -hmm. And it was so hard because Tu Hong had polio, was crawling on the ground. And then with the fall of Saigon, they were erroneously told that her father, Chen, had died. And then immediately her mother and brother and sister had to march and go into centralized agriculture. So at five years old with polio, she's heard that her dad has passed away. Her immediate family leaves and and she's raised by her grandma for a period of time. I just can't imagine going through that as such a young child. Is that perhaps what first really grabbed your heart about the story? It is. And just the amazing continued obstacles that she faced. And she has such a positive attitude and personally reinvents herself constantly, regardless of what her circumstances are. And so to listen to her story and see all the various challenges she's faced and to admire what she's come through and continues to succeed in. It's just an amazing story. Um, It pales in comparison to anything I've done with my life or that most stories that I've heard. To me, it's a story that just grabs you and won't let go because it's so powerful. That it is. We can learn so much and I think in turn feel so grateful for what we have. And sometimes we feel that we're so hard done by despite all that. Yep, absolutely. And when you think about... um, immigrants and coming to the U.S., one of the things that I recently saw in a Forbes article is that more than 40% of today's Fortune 500 companies were either started by an immigrant or a child of an immigrant. And I I think that immigrant mindset, right, or that innovation mentality and seeing opportunities where others don't is kind of the core of what makes America great. And which is the reason that is still like their beacon for immigrants to want to be here because they feel they have opportunities that certainly, you know, when this family 
tried to do everything they could in Vietnam, they still had this terribly difficult existence. It was just really kind of scratching at life. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was starvation, it was poverty, malnourishment, um, and just famine-level rationing. I mean, what they had to do just to eke out a living was amazing. And then they are all so grateful for coming to the United States and having such opportunities and blessings. And their dad, he was here for 10 years before the family reunited with him, and he made a great life for himself, and he really wanted to see his family do the same once they joined him. And that span of years, uh, he worked for 10 years to get them here, but there was still the prior four years Mm -hmm. that they thought that he was not alive, that he was dead. Uh, So in... You know, in total, the 14 years to wait to come together, I, you know, we wonder, could we in our life right now really spend that kind of time waiting for something? I know. To me, it's such a story about the power of family love. And then it doesn't have a rosy ending. So when um, Chen was, um, when the family was told that Chen had erroneously died, the children were like ages five and eight and nine. But by the time they make it to the U.S. and they're reunited, they're basically in their 20s. And her her brother was married and he was leaving behind an expectant wife in Vietnam. And so all of a sudden you have this household of five adults where only one speaks English and drives a car. And it wasn't the same. And they were all trying to build a relationship again with their dad. So it's not like this fairy tale life. You know, once you're reunited, it was a huge struggle coming to the U.S. and assimilating into the culture and being reunited as a family. And and fortunately, they still somehow had the, I guess, their faith. They had each other still to realize that they there were changes that needed to happen, yet they were there strong for each other. Yeah, absolutely. They do have a very strong foundation in faith, and they... Even though the parents' marriage did not make it, they're still very close. Um, They have a lot of family get-togethers. And then the real tragic piece to me that I didn't know when I first met with Tu Hong was that in 2015, her 19-year-old nephew passed away. And he was killed in this tragic car accident the day before his prom, about a month before high school graduation. And he was going to join the military. And his grandfather, Chen, had been in the military in Vietnam. And he had a great-grandfather who'd served in the military. So, So hearing that this young man of promise um, was tragically taken from them after they've had such a challenging journey. It was just It was difficult as I wrote it, um, but yet their resiliency and their faith and their family love and care for each other is so powerful. It's, it's just amazing. All qualities that we can all aspire to that we definitely want to embrace in our own life. And I think through the story of this family, it just brings it so to life, jumping off the page, really, to help us to to think of how it is in our own life, what we might do, how we might respond to things going on. I agree, because to me, it's such a theme of grit and resilience, but mostly about personal reinvention. And so all of us face different challenges, whether it's personally or professionally or a combination or health or financial. And so when you read a story where the obstacles are tremendous, I think it can help our own obstacles seem less tough. And we can take lessons from how Tu Hong continually 
changed herself and her approach and focused on building skills, um, getting her education, learning a new language, learning to walk. You know, it makes us say, well, I can, I can solve whatever's going on in my life because look at what she did. And family seems to be so central here, too, seeing how they really take care of each other, the children taking care of the parents. It's not, you know, you, you fend for yourself. It's just that uh, strength and bond, I think, is, again, something that perhaps we have a, uh, live a little more loosely here in our country. This brings it uh, more into the spotlight and I think uh, might help any of us, all of us, perhaps, to, to build that and find where our strengths are. I agree. The thing that really stood out for me is just the father-daughter bond. So mm. when she developed polio as a young child, her father constantly researched polio options for her and had her try different treatments, and she got approved to go to Germany but wasn't able to because of the fall of Saigon. But once Chin found out his family was alive, so after about four or five years of separation, he found out they were alive. He carried them on his benefit plans for 10 years before they were reunited. And he did that specifically because he wanted them to have health care. But most importantly, he was researching options for Hong for surgery once she arrived in the U.S. And all the pre-work that he did, she was able to meet with the doctors within her first 30 to 45 days in the United States and had surgery within her first 60 to 90 days. And it's just that uh, you just feel that father trying to do anything and everything he can to help Hong with polio. Yes, such passion and that relationship that started early on in her childhood in Vietnam was always with her. She kept nurturing it and remembering her father, even, of course, when they thought that he was dead. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's family bond is so strong. And it's no surprise then that as an adult, they when the parents then separated, Mm -hmm. that uh, they were together and she takes care of her father. It just feels so loving. Mm -hmm. And I I got to spend several weeks in their home with them, interviewing them and being with them. And it's, it's incredible. It's a great relationship, very loving, very caring, and, and also a good sense of humor, but they, they are a great pair and they both look after each other very well. So beautiful. And Really, again, then, a must-read. So, Sharon, the book Standing Up After Saigon, The Triumphant Story of Hope, Determination, and Reinvention, it's just brand new, so we can get it at any and all of our favorite book sources, correct? Absolutely. It's available online and in bookstores. It um, is available for pre-orders right now and then is in bookstores on May 1st. And what's really interesting about the title, at least this is the way it occurs to me, is Standing Up After Saigon has at least something to do with Tu Hong and with her polio. It does. And yesterday I visited the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation Discovery Center. It's interesting because they're so involved with polio. And one of the statistics in there, it said that for every one case of polio, more than 200 kids are infected and it's highly contagious. And I didn't know that. And back in 1988, there were 20 cases of polio every half hour. And back now in 2017, there were only 20 cases total in the world. So it has been eradicated. But when there's a small outbreak, I didn't realize that it can infect people. And they may not get polio, but they have the virus in their body. With it being contagious, it gets passed on. So it was a lot of amazing information at their foundation center. 
Well, thank you for sharing that piece of it and making the story so much more relevant right here in our own community. That's really wonderful, Sharon. What's wonderful is that you've taken time with us this morning. I so greatly appreciate it. It's really been so fascinating to speak with you. Well, thank you so much, Kate. I appreciate you having me on the show. You're welcome. And now we are fortunate to have with us Tuhang Tran, the child, the young woman from the center of the story, standing up after Saigon. Tuhang Tran, good morning. It is really such a gift. So wonderful to have you join us this morning. Uh, thank you so much, Kate, and uh, thank you so much for having me. It is really my pleasure. And uh, we had a little introduction to your life and some of the stories within this book, Standing Up After Saigon. So we have a sense of some of what's gone on. But to have the opportunity to speak with you, the child you were, the teenager, and now the adult who lives in America— asking you about what it was like as this child growing up in Vietnam. Uh, can you share some memory that really stands out in your mind? Uh, yes. Uh, when I uh, was uh, born, and I just was normally and any child, right? And then by around two and a half years old, I got the polio. Even though I received all the vaccine for, uh, to prevent all the polio, but suddenly I still got that. And um, by the time that I uh, reached five years old, and there's a Vietnam War uh, happened, it's 1975. And that has been changed my life uh, completely, or I should say my life uh, turned upside down. When the war happened, occurred, my, we lost contact with our dad completely. And during that time, we saw that his dad, uh, because we got the news that he, his helicopter crashed into the river. And we moving on, and during that time was is very tough, tough for all of us, not only for myself, my family, but for all the Vietnamese people, because um, it's uh, under the new government, communism government, and I couldn't recall that how many days that I didn't have enough food to eat, and my mom had to be, and my brother had to send to empty lands. That where I mean all the the debris, all the granites have been during the war, buried under that area. So we live under fear, right? And then poverty, uh, not enough food to eat, and I live apart from my mom. So every day at that time, like five years old child, I didn't know what to do. I live with my grandma, right? But uh, miss my mom, my dad, like dearly. So I said when my mom will come home. So every single time she came home with um, all the corn and all other stuff that she harvests from the farming, even though that's very little, but I feel like it's heaven because especially I enjoy like, eating corn every day. One time I ate corn because I so enjoy it, and I got six out of that. So in conclusion, my childhood is, I think that I don't have a childhood. Childhood is like I couldn't enjoy it. I mean, I couldn't imagine, I mean, how my childhood would be. Yes. Because it's just every day. We live in a fear every day that we have to find out, I mean, what to eat. Uh, is, is that enough food? And somehow I just went to bed like empty stomach. And because of the malnutrition, so I was like pregnant 
my my stomach like swelling up, just like a pregnant child, mm-hmm. and it hurt constantly. The only part is when to stop it. That means my grandma have to be tapped on my belly constantly to to calm it down. And for sure, I didn't. My family didn't have any money for us to. Uh, for medication or medicine that I mean to to help me, even though that we have money or some other people have money, but there's no medicine or anything that we can help us to heal those. And despite all of that, it's hard for us to comprehend that kind of hunger and having that kind of pain where we are starving and a bloated belly, yet you survived that. It seems your heart was so strong that you had this dream that you were going to become, well, at that time, didn't you want to become a doctor? Yes. Um, once that, because I didn't go through those pain because uh, there's a, I think there's some kind of my digestion problem. So yes, I just, when I got older a little bit, and I say, well, I've been through polio and polio and all those sickness during my childhood. And when I reached around, I think, nine or ten years of age, I said, I need to become a doctor. Doctor, I mean, not to help all other kids that mean have been through exactly like I've been through. So that's, that's my dream during that time. I want to become a doctor. And so you actually thought about that once you were able to emigrate to the United States. Now, that was a long period, though. From the time of the war until you came to the U.S. was 14 years, wasn't it? Uh, yes, that's close to that. Uh, so um, it started in like 1975, and then uh, reunited, uh, or my, my family reunited with my dad. Like My dad is um, late 1989, so it's close to 14 years. And so once you came to the United States, already you had continued and you'd gotten your education in Vietnam and you were learning English there, but you still needed to get your GED just to say that you had that equivalency right here in the U.S. Yes, uh, that is, uh, actually I, I can see this amuse or the funny story, but yes, definitely, even though I learned when we found out uh, our dad alive in the United States. So uh, my dad uh, sent money back home and say, um, talk to my mom and us that uh, we need to study English because he prepared it to bring us uh, to the United States. Even though that we study English there, mostly just like reading and writing, but barely that I could uh, carry the conversation. So when we came to the state and united with my dad. And the first thing is my dad said, you guys need to um, study uh, English as a second language. Uh, in short, it's an ESL. And we said, no, dad, why we have to study ESL? We already learned English and we knew what <laughs> we, we, we could. So my dad just smiled and didn't say anything. And he took uh, three of us, my oldest brother, my middle sister and myself to uh, uh, the San Antonio College. It's a community college. And he talked to one of the ESL teachers. Said, um, uh, I didn't know that what, what he talked to the, the teacher. So, but she took three of us into the room and she gave us the, I think uh, it's a, like more about assessment test. And sure enough, the reality came. 
had no clue what they asked me <laughs> in the paper, even though I can guess in a little bit here and there. But uh, between three of us, my brother is more like uh, no English about more than all my sister and myself. He passed some of it, but not quite, and my sister, is, we felt badly. So when we, the teacher took us out and talked with my dad, and my dad had to translate to all of us, right? So that's why I said the reality came hit really hard. And we said, oh, wow, whatever we learned back to Vietnam is like, not like, I say zero, but it's barely, I mean, there to hit. I mean, we can qualify to go to the college. So that's what from the assessment from the teacher. And uh, my dad said, well, now you guys need to take all the ESL class that the teacher recommended to us. So um, my sister and I, because my sister working and my brother working uh, during the day, and then at that time I still go to my surgery, so that's why I just enroll like part time uh, at night, like after work. So my sister would took me to the school because uh, my dad couldn't like have a time. I mean to take us three of us to school in different time and also take my brother and my sister to work. So yes, that's what when we start beginning learning ESLC then. And. It was a great thing because you went on to get your university degree, correct? Correct. So um, that is another uh, journey. It's challenging at first, and that's when I studied ESL. And during that time, I just talked to the teacher and also the counselor at school to get understanding about the school process and also the school curriculum and get to understand what they have offered between uh, community college and university. So that gave me more ideas, uh, what I'm looking for and what I need to study. And so medicine, going into that profession, was not going to be what you would pursue. However, even though your degree was in computer science, correct? That's correct, yes. So even though it's in that, and of course that's an incredibly great field to be in, I feel that with your work, other than your actual work, the volunteer work that you do, the foundations that you are supporting, is fulfilling that medical part of your dream. Tell us a little bit about that nonprofit organization. Uh, yes, def- and uh, can you definitely write about that? Because um, it's all related, even though, uh, like you mentioned, in my dream, I wanted to become a doctor. But when I come to the state, because of the challenge in the language, right? So I realized that if I cannot pursue uh, medicine, what is the other that I can pursue for my career? And also, I mean, to still relate to the dream that I would like to be came to. So that's why I came to realize that I chose study computer science for that. And during the time that I work in and become a professional about a computer and all information technology, and um, one time I talked to a friend of mine in California and he said that, well, since you know about computer, you know how to do the website design, I'd like to introduce you to some of my friends and he would like to do the same because he wants to support the foster children and also low-income children in Vietnam. So I said, sure. And then we came up with the idea to create a website for all the Vietnamese people get together first of all, to share their passion about literature, about poems. Then we continue to pursue our dream or our goals to need to help the foster children. So that's what we, in many years, I've been involved in different non-profit organizations and organizing the fundraising for years to provide the opportunity for the children 
foster children especially and help the low-income children uh, to attend school. But the main keys for our goal is besides providing uh, the children with the school supply and then tuition for uh, each year. But we couldn't have every foster children, and so we just pick out a certain reason that really need help from people, not only from our group, but from other groups as well. So uh, because the main goal for our group is not only helping the children continue to their school and to get out with the illiteracy, and to further their education, the main key is the stepping stone. Education is stepping stone for their better future. That's what our goal to continue to help the foster children. So I do feel that you are achieving that dream a little differently, but it's still that dream that you had about caring for children. Yes, that's right. And that's the initial start. And my dream and goal that I share with Sharon when we review the book and writing the book. So in future, I'm going to create the nonprofit organization to help the children have a polio or any disabled children in Vietnam because that I've been through. I know that, I mean, how they've been struggled even now, day by day. So that's my goal, I mean, uh, for the future that I will do that. A beautiful and worthy dream and goal. And considering all that you have gone through and come through and accomplish, True Hung, I believe it's just a matter of time that's going to happen as well. And those children are so fortunate that you are their champion. Thank you, and I hope so. I will continue to hope, and uh, we'll plan for it. And uh, definitely, with support, uh, as you or any other people, definitely I will be hope that someday that dream will be uh, come true. Absolutely. Well, I admire so greatly who you are, what you have come through. I'm so appreciative that we have this book, and there is the website that is the title of the book. That's correct. Uh, it's the, the title exactly, like standing up after Saigon.com. And lots of information there. Definitely, we will be post all the information for more to come about the organization that I will be on in the future. Yes. Excellent. Well, Zhu Hong, thank you so greatly for being the woman that you are and for taking this time with us this morning to expose us to your story. Well, thank you so much, Kate, and all the audience out there. And hope that the book, that the story, my story, that will provide the comfort, some inspirational to people that they are down or lose hope. It does all of that. So again, thank you for being so open and sharing with us. But thank you so much, Kate, again. So hopefully that means we will talk soon. Yes. And with that, we're at the end of a very full hour of Inspirational Women with Chu Hang Tran and Sharon Orloff and Sunday Morning Magazine with Lisa Rosenblum, Director of the King County Library System. I'm Kate Daniels, your host, and I greatly appreciate your sharing this hour with me and these special guests. For details you might have missed or information you'd like to know, please just send me an email, kated at warm1069.com, and I will get right back to you. Also, if you'd like to listen again or share these important stories with your family and friends, find the podcast. It's on our Warm 106.9 webpage. Click on the On Air tab, then Sunday mornings, and then look for the show and guest names. I now wish you and your family a day of honoring mom. Share your stories together. Then have a week of the same 
And then please plan to join me again the following weekend for another hour of Sunday Morning Magazine and Inspirational Women on Warm 106.9, the station to pick you up and make you feel good. Good morning.